Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. I'm really excited to have Dr. Pratima Singh join us today from the UK. Now, Pratima is an experienced psychiatrist. She completed a training from Maudsley Training Scheme and worked as a consultant psychiatrist in South London and Maudsley NHS Trust, among many other roles. Now, what's really exciting about Pratima is that she has an interest in exploring the root causes of mental health conditions and designs psychological and biomedical protocols that consider the individual their unique circumstances and needs. Now, what's even more exciting and why I invited her to this podcast, she's also trained under the Institute of Functional Medicine and as a result, strives to integrate the best of conventional psychiatry with nutritional, hormonal, stress, and infectious underlying causes of chronic mental health symptoms. Now, she also works alongside my sister's clinic. It's Dr. Indra's clinic, functional medicine team in England. And so this is really exciting. So welcome, Pratima. Thank you so much, Amitra. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your wonderful podcast. Now, as you know so well, it's so, so hard to find psychiatrists who think about nutrition. And that's why I was just so excited to hear that you've joined Indra's team and there's more of you out there. Because when I really think back, and even in my training, so I did like six months of psychiatry to do my GP training. And, you know, you go into GP practice and I felt like I was a robot and it was so easy to prescribe antidepressants. And it was almost automated. It was almost like, right, you're feeling down, few questions, and here you go. Here's a quick fix. And I can't believe I used to do that when I think back now, like 15 years ago. And then you know, obviously functional medicine came in and integrative, and there is so much you can do to support mental health. And even till this day, when I see patients and they may have seen other doctors and they go, ah, I was offered an antidepressant because I lost someone in my family or, you know, I lost a job and there was a lot of things going on. And now I sort of sit back and go, what are we doing? What are we doing? Just offering a quick fix to every, you know, natural events in life. Can we go deeper? And there's so much you can do from a functional point of view. So Pratima, I'd love to find out more about you and how did you come along down the whole nutrition path as a psychiatrist. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that snippet because, you know, isn't that a part of every doctor's journey? This little voice that we suppress and ignore until it becomes impossible to do so. And I, I would say it was a bit similar for me. So I have the tremendous, you know, honor of coming from a country that looks at health or used to look at health in a very different way. So, you know, I come from the legacy of Ayurveda and, you know, all these kind of eclectic, holistic, traditional medicine systems in India. So that's what I grew up with. And looking back, you know, when it's only when I started to do the teaching and the lectures, what I realized, like, I'll do a very scientific lecture because I'm so keen to tell people, you know what, there's science behind it. 
And really the audience were interested in just as you, they were interested in why a psychiatrist is talking about this. You know, how did I connect this dot? How was this different from exercise and mental health benefits? And that's where I sat down with this thought and kind of looked deeply at my own journey. And it made me realize that there was a strand of holistic health throughout my upbringing. And I think it really comes from having a mom who had uh, rheumatoid arthritis from a very young age. My dad was an avid yogi. Um, you know, I have memories, and this is a joke in our families, like even if he was, he, he's a scientist, he's a genetic scientist. So he used to travel a lot for work. And there was a joke, he was so strict about his yoga routines, that if he was taking an overnight train journey and you were traveling with him, you would be woken up at six o'clock with him doing a pranayam and just completely oblivious <laughs> to this open coach being disturbed. So that's that's how focused he was. But, you know, when you grow up, you know, this is what you see every day. You don't make much of it. So I, I must say it's sadly only when I came to England when I was 20 five that I realized the legacy I had left uh, behind. So I was very focused on a training. I got a great training, but it is when I started to work in the system and realized how separated mental health is from physical health that I began to appreciate that I was actually used to thinking a bit more holistically. So going back to my roots, my Mother used homeopathy to treat her rheumatoid arthritis. My father, being a scientist, completely bought into this low-fat, saturated, fat is going to kill you instantly, scientific narrative. So even though we were quite healthy, and because he was an agricultural scientist, he was quite particular about food quality. So we had a lot of tabletop conversation about big, you know, agriculture, about Monsanto and how BT cotton, so he, he was a cotton genetist, about how this big agriculture was impacting, the politics of this was impacting on farmers and uh, crop quality. Again, when you have this growing up as a 13-year-old, you think hey, maybe this is what every family talks about. <laughs> I now realize that they don't. So, And when my parents started to visit me here, my father would always comment on, oh, all these pretty vegetables, they are modified, oh, they are, they are made too sweet, and they are going to be less nutritionally dense because they have been in cold storage for a year and all this. So this was all going on around me. But I must say that I very quickly became disillusioned with the biological aspect of psychiatry. So I was determined if I'm going to do the pharmaceutical medicine, I'm going to do it really well, because that is what I was trained for in India. Like if you have one tool, make sure it's very sharp. But I came to UK and I particularly wanted to train at Maudsley because I was really interested in psychotherapy, a training that was not that developed. So I go from a sound biological psychiatry foundation to spending much of my higher training getting a psychotherapy experience. And I thought something was still missing. You know, I didn't think this biological and psychological completed the holism that I was looking for. And then I think that patient experience, patients started to come. And one particular patient stands out for me who I often credit to uh, my awakening. 
So, you know, this was a young woman in her uh, mid-30s planning a pregnancy. And she used to be a psychiatric nurse and she had bipolar and she came to me looking really, you know, well. And she said, you know, I wanted to kind of discuss I'm on this tiny dose of medication that I'm trying to come off because I want to get pregnant. And I have bipolar. And I looked at her and I thought, of, of course, you have bipolar, you know, because she was so well. And then I went back to look at her notes and she had the most textbook florid type one bipolar with manic episodes. So my my curiosity was ignited. You know, how is this woman on this tiny homeopathic dose of psychotropic and so well? And she told me about using naturopathy, using food, you know, how she used the anti-inflammatory diet to put the bipolar into remission. She signposted me to a couple of papers. And I think that is how I started. And the more I looked into it, I realized, you know what, this sounds very familiar. You know, it's talking about gut health. It's talking about seasonal eating. It's talking about, you know, toxing and detoxification. You know, this sounds very familiar. And as soon as I started to look into it, the integration of nutrition in a more kind of integrative health approach seemed very familiar to what I had seen around me growing up. So that is how it began. And once I thought, okay, I'm ready to start training into it, functional medicine, the way IFM sets up in uh, US, proposed a very ready-made model. Yeah, it's the only training in the world. So there are many people, you know, there are nutrition schools, there are holistic, integrative training. But I think functional medicine has created a very robust model and methodology, which you know, ties very well to therefore measuring outcomes. And that's what attracted me. And I thought, you know what, I have spent over 10 years training in psychiatry, my general med skills are quite jaded. So I invested from 2017 onwards, and I'm very pleased to say that this year, I will finish my IFM training, and uh, I will do the exams for the certification, although these are not really recognized throughout the world. And yeah, so that was my attempt and my journey. And the more I do it, the more I say Ayurveda is the original functional medicine. But you know, Shamita, your question stops there, but I want to just extend it a bit further because even through functional medicine there have been such amazing insights and I have you know maybe I'm just the unsatisfied kind but I still thought something was missing I thought okay we are looking at things much more holistically now there are a lot of things from my conventional training especially the psychotherapy training that I can bring in the center of the matrix so the the matrix is a particular model we use in functional medicine and the center of the matrix looks at the mental emotional and spiritual aspects. And when we are eliciting root causes, we also look at what might be the mental and emotional, but also spiritual root causes. And whenever I sat down to do that matrix with my functional medicine clients, I thought, where is my spirituality? What is my spirituality? I have a vague memory of having left this far behind. So I am now doing um, in the second year of school of consciousness training, to explore not only my spirituality, but just to kind of understand, because I'm I'm quite religion agnostic. I don't follow, I mean, I was born a Hindu, but I don't follow any prescribed religion. So for me, it was very important to know, you know, how does the spiritual root causes contribute to chronic illnesses? And I must say, this has really enriched my understanding in a way that I was I had not anticipated. So, you know, what we think about mental and emotional possibly also has hidden, you know, kind of disconnection from 
one's own uh, higher self. And this is particularly what attracted me to your sister, Dr. Indra Bharatan, because, you know, Indra often spoke about innate health. You know, I know Indra, you know, comes from the 3P uh, tradition, but, you know, there was some alignment which was automatic because I thought, okay, this is something who's talking in the same language. This is somebody who's talking about the power not being with the doctor, to find the root cause, but within the patient and you as a humble servant, you know, assist that capacity in the patient to unearth it, you know, help the patient get out of their own way so that they can reach and reconnect with that innate health within themselves. So yeah, that is a very convoluted long way. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, there's so many angles I could take that. I was, wow, so your dad knew about the effects of genetically modified grains and what it does. And, and it's so funny you mentioned about this, the vegetables and what it looks like, because you know now I eat all organic vegetables. And if I should pop into a normal supermarket, I look at it and I go, that is far too shiny and it's far too beautiful. What's going on here? It's like something had to change in order to create that perfect shape. So you kind of think, what am I putting into my body? And I loved how you mentioned about the impact of nutrition on mental health. And I love to dive deeper into that. So it's always, I always sit in amazement how as doctors, we were not trained in nutrition. We were never taught to even ask the question until this day, doctors are fully unaware of the impact of nutrition on health. And when you look at it, you know, when you look at chronic disease, 80% of that is due to diet and lifestyle but we're not taught about nutrition and the impact. But I love to dive deeper about nutrition and mental health. I think it is so vital. And like you, like many of my patients have sort of dived into their journey themselves because they have found the answers in the medical system and they've read books and they found things like a high protein diet, whether it's carnivore or keto and found results as in their journey. But I'd love to hear from you, Pratima, like what's the evidence around nutrition and mental health? I think it's really amazing that when you start to look into the literature, you find that there is data going back a very, very long time. However, one of the reasons why this area is maybe unexplored and has not entered medical curriculum is because many of the studies done were quite poor quality. And the people who talk really knowledgeably about this is Bonnie Kaplan, Julia Rutledge, you know, some of the old researchers who were thinking about uh, nutrition way before any medic was. So first of all, first thing to say is that nutrition research is one of the most difficult areas to research. Because I think the research methodologies are really set up to study medicines. So you will often find that even in nutrition research, we are applying the same mindset. We are thinking about food in terms of its components rather than the food as a whole. Food as a whole is really complex. We know that it is more than a combination of micronutrients and macronutrients. And the food also becomes a completely individual entity once it interacts with the organism. So the same food, if you know you eat it, I eat it, the effect it is ha- going to happen on our biology, how we are going to metabolize it. There are just so many factors that affect it. So one of the reasons is that because of the confounding factors, it's a difficult area to research. The second thing is the funding. 
Yeah, there's no money made that to be made out of broccoli. So, you know, we have to be really stop being naive about, oh, where's the evidence? Because follow the money. So you will find that much of research is driven either by government funding or funding from pharmaceuticals. And I think that's where the nutrition lags behind. So there was a lot of research about single nutrient studies. There is emerging research about certain uh, diets. But I think around uh, 2013, something really interesting happened. So we started to get more dietary-based randomized control trials roughly only from the early 2000s. So, I mean, if you think about the time before that, so you had lots of contradictory studies on single nutrient uh, studies. So even when you look at that, there are some nutrients that stood out, but for many other things, and, you know, omega-3 is a great uh, example. So you there was a spate of research showing omega-3 is possibly beneficial for everything. And then when these were replicated, the effect was found to be much less. Now, we did to omega-3 what we did to the saturated fats, that we clubbed all qualities of omega-3, those non-specific together. And when you do it, look at it, uh, that with evidence gets quite uh, diluted. Because for many of these studies, the quality matter, the dose uh, matters when you are seeing that kind of adjunctive effects for improvement in depression scores. Having said that, a few things that stand out from research is uh, vitamin D, B vitamins, especially folate folate augmentation. And these are all augmentation studies because it was nearly impossible to get funding approved and ethical uh, committee approval to ask the patients to stop a treatment they were having. And you could, I now understand why, because if you stop psychotropic medication, you get a clinical picture that looks like a relapse, which often is withdrawal and discontinuation. So many of uh, the researchers who attempted those kind of crossover trials, etc., I think they had very negative outcomes. So ethical approval usually is more successful for adjunctive studies. So we know that vitamin D, folate, N-acetylcysteine, uh, omega-3 in terms of depression, maybe curcumin, saffron. So, you know, th th there is some data about it. But nutrition in mental health really came on its own, thanks to Professor Felice Jacker from Australia. Yes, that's right. And, you know, it was so exciting that we caught on the success of the trials showing a Mediterranean diet and its benefit on cardiovascular health. And the observation that, that there was a particular arm of uh, these uh, you know, cardiovascular Mediterranean diet trials that showed that when you have a Mediterranean diet supplemented with nuts specifically, that arm, the patients who were depressed started to go in remission. And they used that data to apply for funding and they were successful. So the SMILES trial in 2013 and the HealthyMed uh, trial also in 2013, also from another part in Australia by Parletta and uh, their group, they showed very similar outcomes, slightly different designs. You know, one was uh, four-month randomized control trials where they gave uh, individual nutrition uh, and counseling sessions as well as the uh, food uh, baskets. And HealthyMed trial was slightly longer and there they gave cooking workshops, but not one-to-one -one individualized uh, nutrition. And both those trials showed that there was a significant improvement in the depression scores. So much so that in the SMILES trial, what was unique about the SMILES and HealthyMed trial is they did not make the mistake that the previous trials did. They did not club anything that looks like SAD as depression. You know, these were patients who were seriously, at least moderate to severely depressed. Yeah? So this is the kind of patient I would see as a secondary care uh, specialist 
but maybe not the ones that would see uh, the GP. So these were mostly patients who had been depressed to a clinical degree for a significant period of time on stable treatment. And a third of these patients went into remission. Wow. Now, if you ask me if there is a drug that can do that, the answer is no. So if you ask me if this could be patented and sold as a drug, that company would be very successful. And so, but it was a diet and it was a diet which had high adherence to Mediterranean diet. And one of the other difficulties of the nutrition trials is that we as humans are terrible at remembering what we eat. Yeah, we are terrible at eating what we are told to eat. So the closest to the gold standard of uh, nutrition studies is to actually give people what you want to eat. And then there is a chance that they might eat it. So both these trials actually provide the food hampers that have the 12 categories of Mediterranean uh, diet and when people do that. But lots of myths were busted. Yeah? When I started to speak about nutrition, my team members, sometimes you're working very closely with the patient, they would make excuses on the patient's behalf. They would say, oh, no, 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 Pratima, you know, that, that let him eat his cakes. You know, that that's his only thing. Or, oh, he, he, he couldn't possibly cook or... Uh, the trial showed that people who were moderate to severely depressed, yes, they had their groceries uh, delivered, but they could make those dietary changes. The amount of change you made, so, you know, at baseline, the worse your diet and the amount of movement there was from that correlated to the improvements. And this is what I say to my patients every single day. So, Shamitra, what I have done since I came to this, that as and talking about being in the right place at the right time, 2013 is when I've completed my training and started my first uh, consultant job. I made a commitment to myself. I'm going to talk about this to everyone because what's there to lose? And I'm so glad I did that because it, it has been such a humbling experience. Yeah? I would have educated patients who talked the talk, but did not walk the walk. And there was this patient that I would have least expected, you know, a teenager, this, you know, people who I would possibly maybe unconsciously biased about putting in that effort, surprised me by taking things on board, really making the changes and having great improvements. So I think that experience taught me that you just, you just do this as a part of what you do and see what happens. And I've had just such amazing experience. And I, and I use the data from these trials to motivate patients to tell them that, you know, it is worth it. And of course, uh, guidelines mean that I can only seem to be doing things as long as I'm doing the very conventional thing, which in UK, you know, and, and I'm sure that's true in your part of the world as well, is not hard because almost everybody who comes to us is on tons of psychotropic medication that is possibly not working uh, for them as well as it could. So nutrition risk, I use the Mediterranean diet, but there's a lot of data about very specific, you know, things in nutrition and functional medicine has just broadened that so much because of the recent advances in the studies on the gut microbiome. So that's a, another huge area that has really made it possible to, you know, go into areas, you know, way beyond telling people to eat more uh, fish or blueberries. So, you know, now that we can have deeper conversations about the gut microbiome and how it is, that is where you can really start to talk about the elephant in the room is that dietary quality. So in UK, for example, we have the worst diet in all of Europe. 40% of the food mm. that is consumed on a daily basis is packaged. 
Yeah, the world, the highest in the world is 60%, which is America. Portugal is the closest to the Mediterranean diet with only 10% intake of uh, processed food. So this has allowed me to really, you know, kind of put this on the table and say, you know, nobody else is going to do this. We all have to talk about it. I'm very pleased to say that I did my first kind of lecture in 2017. We are in 2023. And not a three month has passed without the chain reaction of somebody listening to my lecture and thinking that sounds like a sensible idea and me being invited back. So, you know, I have possibly now delivered this teaching to about 12 different mental health trusts in England. It's a very standard, simple lecture, very much similar to what, where I set up the scene, I go through the evidence and then share, you know, some, a few tips about how I integrate it into my practice so that it feels doable. It feels like people have some kind of a template about how to begin this conversation. That is so inspiring, Pratima, because we've just got to keep talking about it. And the more we talk about it, the more it's going to be familiar to people. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. And it's so interesting because I had a brunch with a good friend of mine and she's a GP. And I just mentioned that I went to the low carb down under conference just the weekend before, and it's super inspiring and it's amazing with speakers from all over the world and the impact, you know, not only mental health, but so many other things. And the first thing she said to me was, Shami, I can't give, give up my carbs. I just cannot give up my carbs. And I go, well, it's not about giving it up, but you're right. It's such an emotional connection we have to food. It's almost we've got to look at that emotional connection to go, what does that even mean? Because so many doctors I know would pop across the road and go to the McDonald's for their lunch or have KFC and have processed foods. And the whole concept of processed foods, high sugar, the wrong kind of carbs is just not sinking in. And it's almost like they say, don't take that away from me. It's such an emotional connection that they don't want to learn any more about it because of this connection with food. And that goes back to the whole sugar, how it stimulates the brain. But I think it goes very, it goes deeper than that in my experience, Shamitra, because we remember, so we have a history of doing this in medicine. Five mm. years after a string of randomized control trials showing smoking was linked with lung cancer. Doctors continue to undermine that information, dismiss it, smoke in their clinics front of the patient. We were just in denial. So doctors, you know, possibly are sometimes, you know, in denial because of their own addiction to you know, unhealthy food, yeah, because it is addictive. It's not about doctors. Everybody who eats this food on a regular basis you know, there is a very strong addictive quality. And in my consultations, you know, when I have patients, when I'm explaining to this, I always use this analogy. I ask people, and I'm going to ask you now, think about a cupcake or a biscuit. Yeah, It has got this perfect combination of carb and fat and sugar. Yeah, so the sugar is the sugar, sugar and the sugar from the carbs. And that's what makes it super addictive. This is a magical combination that only man created. I asked them to give me one example in the natural world. There is something in the natural world where you find this addictive combination. Yeah. Can you think about anything? Oh, sugar and fat. Yeah. So what is natural food that has got high fat and high sugar? 
Oh, give me some. Give me some idea. <laughs> so there, there are there is no food. Yeah. So you will either exactly. in the natural world you will either have a high fat uh, food. Let think about an avocado, or you will have a high sugar food. Think about a pineapple or a mango. Yeah. So nature had that wisdom to not combine something that humans would eat to the extent of killing themselves. so that wisdom is present so humans have created this combination just like we have created lots of addictive things and i i make the analogy with cannabis that if you think about the leaf cannabis nature created this beautiful balance of you know uh, the cbd which is anti inflammatory relaxing a real herb hub with a slight bit of fun from the thc you do not have this you know disproportionately high thc with a little bit of cbd that we chase and get addicted in the process only humans can do that so when it comes to food the big food are creating these combinations that are meant to have hit that dopamine system hit uh, uh, that satiety in a way that it becomes uh, addictive so the answer to the puzzle is that the only natural food where these two things are in combination is mother's breast milk Oh wow and 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 just you know so so we are allowed to only have that for a limited period of time where we have exponential growth yeah and i say that is what happens when you are eating kfc a lot that you are going to have an exponential growth which then looks like adult obesity because it is addictive so when talking you know i have the joy as a psychiatrist i can go in so many directions so when i have begun that conversation i would ask people okay so what is it that we are needing that food is providing and this is what i love about ayurveda because ayurveda respects that food is more than food and therefore food is such an important part of the spiritual practices and so food is really revered it's not broken down into macronutrients there is no concept of you know vitamins and this that and such way it is all about you know what is the alchemy of the food and what it means so i often end my presentations with a reminder that food is so much more it it is of course it is scientific information for the body it's the message that we are giving our body that's going to interact with our nervous system etc but when you think about the mental health you know it can be a weapon of abuse yeah it can be a memory of you know love care and connection it can be a way people you know repeat trauma experiences by neglect by self starvation by you know dissociating from their body not noticing the hunger signals and then binging on uh, sugar and when i use food in my practice and when i have that rich history about the patient's background it is not really that difficult for me to see or for me to have that conversation with people about how food is being used in a way to maybe have connection yeah why why do we say comfort eating comfort is something we seek from a hug uh, from a friend from a close relationship you know we are interacting with our food in humanistic terms yeah we are treating this as human and therefore you know we have really strange uh, relationship with food which is being exploited by big food and we are underserving our patients by not having this conversation by not uh, you know including it in our every consultation no matter what our profession is i agree i can, couldn't agree with you more prasima now before we end the uh, conversation but i love to know you mentioned about a patient who had bipolar who you know 
got you onto this track of functional medicine. Any interesting cases to share of Ooh. a patient using nutrition and lifestyle to transform their mental health? I think this is always fun to think because, you know, like I said, I use nutritional interventions every day in my clinical uh, practice. So three days, I still work in the National Health Service here in UK. And one day a week, I practice functional medicine with uh, Indra's clinic. And we have successes every single day. So you asked for one example, but I'll give you two examples because it's almost I wear these two hats. So I recently had a patient who came from abroad and had a diagnosis of bipolar. And when she came, her list of medication, if I remember correctly, there were about six psychotropics. And what was interesting that every a psychotropic was added to counteract the side effects of another psychotropic. So she was on two antidepressants, both notorious for weight gain. And hence, before she came to us, she was put on a stimulant, an ADHD medication to suppress the appetite. So when she came to me, she there were life stresses. So life is always the reason, you know, although we are talking about nutrition, nutrition does not fix life, but I think it's a very good tool to reconnect with self. So she presented very depressed, very anxious about things that were going on in her life. And as I always do, I took a, a nutrition history, which was very sparse. She was not really eating that way. And, you know, they were, she was, you know, binging on not so healthy food. In the following consultations, her husband uh, joined and because I do this in a very stepwise manner, we started to kind of tidy up and rationalize the medication. We stopped the appetite uh, suppressant. And that's when I think of in the subsequent uh, consultation, the picture emerged of a possible disordered eating. So a life locked up. So this is somebody who lost her mother at a very young age, extremely close to her father, who unfortunately passed away during her transition back uh, to UK, where she originally came from. And in her case, you know, we talked about what food represented. And food really represented her having to grow up overnight quickly when she lost her mom at uh, 15 or uh, 16. So food became, so she she would soak up all her anxiety and, you know, do her best to support her father, to look after the household and her younger uh, siblings. And when she had time to relax, that is where she comforted and soothed herself to fill the absence of her mother. And she talked about how this secret eating kind of continued. Now, she told me that, you know, she finds it impossible and she was very ashamed uh, about it. I think especially so because she was a mother herself and she she was very aware that, you know, she, she had very little control about her children's eating because of her own secret binging. And then we did the usual psychoeducation about, you know, what sort of blood sugar patterns that's setting up, what sort of nutritional deficiencies we, and, you know, because she actually originally, uh, her parents were from a Mediterranean uh, country, you know, I said to her, like, you know, you have the knowledge and you can do this. So we started to make some uh, tweaks and I think it was as simple as possibly, I think in terms of supplement, I probably added omega-3 and vitamin D. This is my NHS patient, mind. You, so I'm quite limited in what I can do. And then we made a plan to start to tweak her diet. So the first thing was cutting down the sugar. And that was hard because she had really bad cravings and her mood. I mean, she was dozed up on two antidepressants, a mood stabilizer, and everything else that we had tapered off. So 
I was satisfied that I had done what the guidelines expected us to do. So we started to do a stepwise change. Within two months, she comes back to me with her husband, looking like a completely different person. And they said to me that they could not believe what an impact this had had. So very simple removing inflammatory things and bringing in things that were deeply nourishing. So she started to eat more fish. First, she increased her hydration. She replaced all her unhealthy snack diets with nuts, you know, you know, crackers of different kind, uh, hummuses, this, that, and the other. I think she's from Egypt or Turkey. I'm, I don't remember very well, but one of the countries where there's a very rich uh, culinary culture. And she said that, you know, it has completely transformed. And I asked her, okay, so what do you think worked? And she said, there's one thing you said that worked. And I don't even remember saying it, but she said that you said, if it is in the house, it will be in your mouth. <laughs> and that, that is really something I practice because I've got two young children that if it is in the house, yes, it might take a week or two weeks or two months, but eventually I know it is going to end up in my body. So the only place where I feel I have any degree of control is I tell my patients that I am not even depressed. Yeah, I don't half the stresses that uh, you do. So when you wake up, you're feeling depressed, anxious. Why use the little bit of willpower for this battle? Whether you I eat something that harms me or I don't. So the, she said that is what really helped. She said the battles just finished because the children would open and there are no more cookies and crisps. So they would just turn and eat the fruit or the nuts or the uh, better snacks. And she said that she noticed as soon as her eating regular rice, she no longer had cravings. And she felt more looked after because she was doing the looking after not only about the whole family. So a very simple, and you know, I've asked her if she would mind doing a, a short audio clip so that I could use that to inspire because it's one thing me telling the story and this is completely different thing, uh, the patient uh, telling. So, and this is somebody with a diagnosed bipolar who was in a depressive episode or who had at least four changes of medication. And we saw she, she's in remission now. I continue to uh, see her. And um, the other example, which which I'll be very brief about is actually a patient we saw in uh, my functional medicine uh, practice was a 70 year old man with severe uh, depression. So, you know, he had gone through huge life event and well-functioning, salt of the earth man, worked throughout his life and then he became uh, depressed. And so we knew that the stress was a big factor, but in doing the functional medicine approach, there were a lot of indications possibly of hormonal changes. So when we tested the hormones, his testosterone was in the pits. So for a temporary resolution, we did start him on some antidepressants. But as soon as we started the bioidentical hormone replacement, so he went on some testosterone within a month severe generalized anxiety uh, and depression pattern completely subsided. He went into remission within a month. So, you know, the reason I used these examples is not, I am not allowed to test people's hormone in my NHS practice, but I tell people that please don't underestimate the change you can have by really simple phenomena. Because when people think about functional medicine, they think about expensive testing and expensive supplements. And I have a bit of an issue about that because, again, I think that they are also a temporary band-aid at times because, you know, we have not gone to that root cause and really looked at all these. Uh, yeah, so those are two examples that come to mind. Which is amazing because it sort of comes back full circle about growing the food and what the nutrition in the food is all about. And I agree with you, ideally, we shouldn't rely on 
supplements. At the same time, where's the soil quality going? How much nutrients are we really getting? But also there's so many reasons why we could be losing nutrients from the toxins, pesticides. So it's a combination of things. But that has been so inspiring, Pratima, and I think you'll inspire so many listeners and just not so not lose hope that there's so much out there that you can do from a mental health point of view, from nutrition to lifestyle. That's amazing. And before we let you go, Pratima, where can people find you? There is a very simple website. Like I, I don't have anything fancy, but if you go to pratimasing.com, you will find, you know, bits and bobs there. Some of my lectures that I have uploaded, I don't have anything fancy. And, you know, clinically in UK, uh, UK is the only uh, place where I can clinically consult people. It is through actually your sister's website, which is drindra.co.uk. So that is the clinic I see uh, patients uh, for my one day. Uh, private uh, practice yeah and I think there are some things on YouTube as well as you put if you put my name in amazing thank you so much Pratima thank you so much it's been a lovely conversation and thank you I'm really honored to be on your podcast thanks for a chance to chat with you remember that this is general advice only please see your healthcare professional for more information So what's your take-home message today? Remember, it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize, and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.